You're listening to the Into the Dust podcast, hosted by Joe Moore, presented by Belly Up Sports. Joining today's episode, Caden Sparks-Weens. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from No Credentials Required to talk to you about one of our newest partners at Belly Up Sports, SeatGeek. Yeah, live sports is great on television, but the feeling of being at the arena is a priceless experience. That's why our friends at SeatGeek are there to help you find the best tickets at the best prices. Not only can you get tickets to sporting events, but you can also get tickets to concerts, comedy shows, musicals, and more. Search for your desired event now at SeatGeek.com, enter promo code BELLYUPSPORTS at checkout, and you save 20 bucks off your first purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. All right, so how are you doing today? I'm good. Had a busy, busy week so far. Um, obviously, I've been, you know, streaming and still working my full-time job. So first day off from regular work in a few weeks. So today is all um, streaming and, of course, recording the podcast with you. This has been planned for a while. I think we started planning this, like, last month when I was completely booked to, to the wall with stuff. So the first time you had, yeah, the first time you had asked if I wanted to join the podcast was, uh, looks like May 1st is the first message I have from you here about that. Yeah. So that that's over a month ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're now, what are we? June 9th. So it's okay. These yeah. things, these things take time to, uh, to organize. That this is why I, uh, plan and like way far advanced with everybody because i know a lot of the people i plan with um i have a lot more like personal like their schedules are a lot more uh full especially with a rally driver they're a lot full so it's like try to just get them in is like it's fun absolutely no i i don't doubt that at all but um anyway so you do a lot of you stream on Twitch for those who don't know. Um, you do SnowRunner, WRC Generations from time to time, Dirt, etc. So what got you into streaming? Oh, oh, so what got me into streaming? That's actually kind of an interesting question. Um, so I, what am I now? I'm like 25 <laughs> in high school maybe even middle school, I think some friends and I, you know, obviously if you're in the, in the video game space, you're aware of, of big streamers and big YouTubers. And I think that's, that's every kid's dream is to be a streamer or a YouTuber. So we had tried, you know, creating some sort of content streaming over the years through high school. And it didn't really come to anything. We had a little bit of a kind of like a production company going where we would create esports content. That was the first time it kind of took off. So I had a little bit of experience streaming tournaments and running tournaments, doing some announcing for esports. And so that's kind of where my streaming started. But again, that wasn't really solo. Like that wasn't that wasn't me. That wasn't Sparks. It was just kind of putting on a show um, for esports. My dad was actually the one that started streaming before I did. He started streaming his own content and has been going for the last couple of years. And once I got into sim racing and started seeing other sim racers specifically on TikTok, so 
uh, guys like Douglas Thompson and Rice Pudding. Those guys really kind of inspired me to take some of my sim racing stuff once I got into it and put it on TikTok and just kind of see what happened. And it really, it really took off from there. With TikTok, you have to create video content and get a handful of followers before you can ever actually go live. So that was my focus at first. And that really took off. So streaming was just really the, the natural progression from that point. And now you have two accounts that set a thousand followers because I think everybody <laughs> who follows your main account pretty much follows your second account as well, which I'm I don't know. to see. I don't know about everyone. Uh, yeah, I've got, we just passed 100,000 on the main account, on the Spark Sim Racing account. My personal account, which has been around for three years and uh, has just kind of collected random followers over time. Yeah, I just hit 1,000. So if I want to stream stuff that's kind of outside of the Spark Sim Racing umbrella, I have a, have a place to do it. I'm not going to make any attempt to expand that in a significant way. It's just going to be where I can kind of shit post, so to speak. I, I, I'm just waiting for the random stream of like Petunia doing whatever randomly. And it's like there's just a thousand viewers in there because everybody's so fascinated with her. And then it just turns to a wall or something for like an hour. I mean, that's kind of probably what it's going to end up being. You know, if I'm um, out of town and bored on a trip, you know, I'll probably boot that one up and just do it. Just, just chat and streaming or something like that or, uh, you know, do some cooking on there. The the idea of you cooking, and I've talked with the Dazzle about this. I've said it in Discord a billion times. The idea of you cooking scares me. <laughs> I grew up, so my dad worked in a restaurant when I was a kid. And both my parents had cooked quite a bit. So I had a lot of exposure. And we were really encouraged to get involved and do our own meals. So I, I had actually started cooking probably around. I would imagine around 10, my memory for that stuff is not great. Maybe double check that one with my uh, my dad next time you're on his stream. Um, but yeah, I think around that point. So I do have a lot of, I do have a lot of experience with cooking. And then obviously when I moved out at 19, I had, you know, had to fend for myself at that point. So my first meals were not great. I got major food poisoning the first day I moved out. I had made some sort of fish that my parents had in the freezer and just kind of sent me off with. Got super, super sick from it, uh, but I've improved since then. I, the only reason I say it scares me is because I, uh, earlier this year, actually, uh, I I co-ran a kitchen with a professional chef who allowed me the reins of his bakery. And he okay. he specializes in baking, so that was a high, high thing for me to take over from but yeah. No, that's totally fair. I mean, cooking, once you get the safety stuff down, uh, is, isn't really scary. You can only mess it up so bad as long as you're being safe with the food. And I, I come from a, a retail background with a food safety, a, a large set of food safety training. I mean, I worked with Starbucks for a little bit, and now I work for an unnamed retail company that, again, is uh, quite focused on food safety. So... I, I definitely have transferred that over to my own kitchen too. Food safety isn't difficult to understand. It's just there's a lot of people who don't actually realize stuff is unsafe when they start doing it. Yeah, I mean, if you paid attention during like high school biology, you're probably going to be okay. But uh, 
<laughs> you maybe ask somebody their uh, biology grades before you eat something from their kitchen. That might be uh, an important factor. <laughs> I've never taken biology, but yet I, I, I'm pretty much a major in uh, foods. So that's that's my life at this point. Yeah, but I anyway. might need you to pass a high school biology course before I eat anything from your kitchen. But <laughs> as long as you're confident with it. Is the blessing from a uh, professional chef not enough for you? I guess that'll probably do, hey? <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyways, we kind of got a bit uh, off track there. So you started streaming. What got you into sim racing? So that was an even weirder uh, happenstance, I guess. I was never into car games. And I frankly was never really that into cars. I started doing photography quite young. It was mostly nature stuff, but had accidentally progressed into like car shows and track days through a friend of mine. And we had started, you know, just photographing cars. We would go to dealerships and we would photograph their cars for them. So that that was kind of the very, very start of my interest in cars. And again, still not involved in racing in any way. But I started to get a rudimentary understanding of cars and engines. And as as I gained more experience with those, of course, my my interest grew as well. And I've always been into video games. I mean, really, really, since I could hold a controller, I've been playing video games. And it didn't really involve a lot of racing or car games. I remember a couple of them. So my very first racing game was, it was World Racing Either World Racing or World Racing 2 for like the original Xbox. And that was like the very, very first one. And then not much after that, a little bit of Need for Speed Underground. And eventually, um, I think I had picked up Forza maybe at some point. What had really been the, the changing point was during 2020, all of these game companies were on hold. So we had all of these releases pushed back by a year or two. So there was a big, there was a big drought in gaming in the 2020, uh, 2021 area when these companies weren't able to work on their games. So I was pretty desperate to find new and exciting games to play. I happened to be in, uh, I think it was in a Walmart. I was, I was hanging around the electronic section in a Walmart and I saw a racing wheel. I saw a Thrustmaster TMX, which is pretty much the cheapest force feedback wheel you can get. And not a bad one, um, but it was just the only one they had in stock. And I thought, you know what? That would probably be kind of cool. And again, this is like 2020, 2021. There's nowhere to spend your spare money. So, you know, I had a few extra spending dollars and I'm I'm like, you know what? Let's let's do it. Let's let's take the dive into, into racing. So I buy this thing. Uh, this is on my lunch break at work. I buy this thing and I bring it home at the end of the day, plug it in. And I frankly do not have a lot of racing games at this point, at least not on PC. The only one that I had at the time was Dirt Rally 2.0. And I think I had picked it up probably either as like a humble bundle thing um, or maybe, you know, like a dollar during a summer sale or something like that. So that was the first game I booted up with the wheel and that was that was like an instant connection right there i mean it was 
challenging. It was different from the other racing games that I could play and playing it on the wheel just made it feel so, so engaging. So that was really where my whole sim racing thing started was directly into rally. And it really has never significantly moved outside of rally. Rally has been the focus of my sim racing We'll call it a career, but kind of sim racing hobby has all been rally focused uh, since that point. But yeah, I just happened to buy a wheel on a on a lunch break, and and now here we are. So, like with because there's different levels to sim racing. Obviously, you mentioned rally. There's circus focused games. There's even rally cross mixed in with that. There, did you ever do a bit of rally cross, or was it always just rally? Um, I, you know, my first interaction with rally cross from a sim racing perspective was also dirt rally too, which does have a, a very strong rally cross integration. Um, I hated it. <laughs> it accidentally loaded up some rally cross, uh, when did not even really accidentally, but I just saw the game mode on there and was like, you know what, let's try this rally crossing played maybe i don't even think i finished my first race i think i played maybe two minutes of it when i hate this this is horrible this is confusing uh i'm going back to rally now i've i've since given rally cross another shot actually um i was doing a dual stream with douglas with douglas thompson on tiktok and he recommended i think it was project cars two or three that had a pretty cool rally cross expansion um that worked really well in multiplayer so we had fired that up just the two of us on stream and uh, i got kind of a better in- yeah introduction to rally cross so somebody who actually knew it and uh, I've, I've grown to like it a lot more rally cross is fun um it adds a bit more competition to rally and ex- and you can s- I mean, Rallycross was, yeah, you're right. It's, uh, it adds a little bit of competition. I mean, there's always, there's always strong competition in rally, but seeing your competition on the circuit with you, that brings a whole nother level of anxiety and, uh, and competitive atmosphere. You're totally correct about that. And I, I do enjoy that from time to time. And, and also, in a, in a sense, it opens you to more mistakes as well, which in some ways helps you as a rally driver in some aspects, but because with multiple cars taking corners, especially in the beginning of an event, you learn different lines and you learn different ways to take a corner, which in some ways, if you're in rally, if you have that kind of same scenario where you're going wide in a corner or whatever, you kind of learn in a sense of how to take that better. Yeah, absolutely. And the margin for error is so low. So if you uh, take a corner wrong and spin out, lose five seconds um, in rally, five second difference between two drivers is virtually neck and neck, but five second difference in rally cross is quite significant. So you you definitely can't afford to make the same kind of mistakes that you may get a little more leniency on in rally. With rally cross, you're racing on two different two or three different services per track with rally it's normally just one surface besides the exception of like poland i think this i was is gonna poland. say yeah uh poland like, is great for a mixed surface but i think you're correct um i i, I haven't raced on a, a lot of other areas that have 
that switch between surfaces as often as Poland does. I mean, Australia does also have some pretty significant uh, asphalt sections on the dirt stages, but yeah, Poland's a big one. And so that yeah. is a big, that is a big factor in rallycross as well is you're switching between surfaces often every few seconds. Um, you know, you could go 10 seconds on dirt and then another 15 seconds on asphalt and then back to dirt. So you're right. You do have to be able to ch- change how you treat those surfaces and, and play with the car on the fly often. Yeah. Um, so you this year, and I don't know about before because I haven't followed you because at that point you weren't taking over my entire TikTok for you, <laughs> which is exactly how I found you because you were just every time I would go on TikTok, like every fifth or sixth video was just your live stream. And I was like, <laughs> I apologize for that. I uh, did kind of monopolize TikTok for a few months there. Uh, <laughs> Not really sure how that happened, but that's all right. It, it, but that speaking of that, it's a really good way to grow, especially if you're new and upcoming. It's getting noticed by people, even just on the timeline or on the for you page with just the previews of your streams or whatever. It it's a good way to grow because there could be somebody who sees your videos, like me and likes it and decides to follow you and yeah yeah and i think a lot of people i mean like you say getting getting your live stream on the for you page and for those who don't know the for you page is basically the main feed on tiktok and you you really want to make it your goal to get your lives or your videos onto the for you page onto the fyp because that is so much exposure in a very short amount of time Obviously, getting your live onto this main feed is a significant step and a very, uh, I, I, what would you call it, a very a bountiful event for your stream. It's not going to happen without video content. Um, and I have made it my goal to release one video every single day until I hit 1,000 followers. That was my goal. Um, one video a day until I hit 1,000 followers. So the only reason that my live was showing up on on the for you page was these videos were doing quite well ending up on the for you page and then it would pull my live in with it i i could never upload a video a day i have too many other commitments to deal with but yeah like <laughs> now like i don't know how i did it now i couldn't some days were stretched some days it was like i had an hour to uh film edit and post a video some days and so i ended up with some maybe some lower quality posts at the beginning but i think right as you start quantity over quality as as weird as that sounds can be an effective strategy for getting your first thousand followers and just getting your foothold on tiktok i don't i don't know if that applies to platforms like youtube but for tiktok that would absolutely yeah absolutely work for me i i've learned over especially with the podcast and i know podcasting and posting videos on tiktok is two different things but there's a certain time between like when I normally upload episodes because I know there's a a decent time between each where it'll maximize views or listens, I guess it won't be views. <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah. For podcasts, I'm not sure what that looks like, but for TikTok, it's a very short period of time. So the maximum you would want to post ever is, I mean, realistically, I think you can post once per hour. That would probably be a lot, 
I would say once a day had great performance, um, at least at the start. Right now, I've kind of switched to, now that I've gained a, a bigger following, I've switched to a more quality-focused approach, and I no longer upload every day. But if I could maintain that kind of quality and still upload as fast as I want, I would not go, would not go more than once a day. Like you said before, it's quantity over quality, but there also has to be a certain quality to the videos because if you just post random garbage, it's not going to do very well. Like it might do well view wise, but it's not going to get people to say, oh yeah, I really like this guy's stuff. It's, it's good quality content. It's like, what did I just watch? You're totally correct. So that's another big factor that you kind of have to look out for is there's different types of engagement that your videos can get. And, you know, if you make a video that's kind of a cheap laugh and, you know, it's it's just fun, but it doesn't really hint that there's anything more to that account, just kind of like a one-off, going to be great for engagement, great for likes, great for views. It's not going to get you a lot of followers. So, um, yeah, you definitely want to make sure that there is some aspect of quality. But I think when you start out, you don't really know what good quality looks like for your content yet. So when I started, I just kind of just posted my runs, just posted rally stuff. And I didn't know what quality looked like for myself. So I think right at the start, I mean, you have nothing to lose right when you start your account. You have no followers. Um, You really don't know what you're doing at this point yet, unless you have prior content creation experience, which I didn't really, not for TikTok at least. And so I, I just took the just post approach and kind of ironed out what quality looked like to me through those daily posts. So it was a really good way to actually learn what, what good quality was for me and how to achieve it. And, and starting, there's always that kind of fine line between finding out what works and what doesn't work. And it's always an experiment to figure out what does and what doesn't, because you're never going to get it right the first try. And there might be something that does well once and then never does well again. Absolutely. And luck is a huge part of TikTok as well. I mean, you could post the same exact same video, same tags, same captions, um, same hashtags. You could post the exact same video twice and make it totally different views just based on what's in the news that week. So, you know, if you think you have a really strong video and you're surprised that it didn't do well, you may have just had some bad luck with it. Repost it later. If you really do believe in the in the quality of some specific piece of content and you feel like it underperformed, wait a couple of weeks and post it again and see if it just catches the wave. A good example of this is um, so here in Alberta, we have had significant wildfires over the past over the past month. And now driving home one day, I was going through a wildfire area, maybe 20 feet of of visual clearance in front of me. And this isn't my usual content, but I had recorded it because I thought it was interesting and then decided to post it on TikTok. And it didn't do very well. I was not surprised. It was outside my usual content. It was just kind of a way for me to show um, some of my more dedicated followers what it was like in Alberta at the time. And it didn't do anything crazy. Again, very, very low performance video compared to some of my other ones. 
but just the last couple of days now that there's significant um wildfire smoke in new york and very populated parts of the u.s this video has taken off just in the last 48 hours just because in the news something happened where wildfires trending so now tiktok has dug up these these older videos and put them on the for you page so i think that's it's it speaks it speaks a lot to sometimes post is just luck and what is what happens to be trending on tiktok at the moment um so it's funny you mentioned that video because consistently for the past like week every time i go onto tiktok i always have a notification is somebody liking my one comment from that video yeah and see you kind of see in that case i guess you see in real time um that that has started trending again and what was your comment on that video i've just i have uh, it was the pace notes one it it was the pace notes one i think it was like straight over straight or something and it it was that one i forget the exact comment yeah like 48 hours ago i would have been able to find that comment because there was only like four on this video um there's now 179 so i cannot find your (laughs) cannot find your comment uh, there was 50 of them just overnight last night. So I'm, uh, that's hopeless, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, it's like every morning, it just like, I, like yesterday I posted another TikTok for the first time, in like two weeks. Cause I posted one, like two weeks ago after I changed my name on TikTok and it did, it only got two views and it was my regular content. And I know exactly why it didn't work is because I changed my name, like right yeah. before posting it. Which is a smart idea. And then, uh, so, <laughs> so yesterday I posted another one and it did like 700 views, like right out of the gate. And I was like, okay, that's, that's normal now. You kind of got um, your views back. Yeah. Um, even, even small rebrandings like that can have a significant impact on your, on your followers and your views. Um, like I recently, I went from Spark Sim Racing on TikTok just to Sparks. And I also changed the profile picture with some new artwork that I had drawn up. I started losing followers like crazy because now I'm on people's pages and they don't recognize who I am. So it's <laughs> rebranding is a is a scary step to take. But you're I'm not surprised that when you change your name, you you only got a couple of views because it's, it's a factor for sure. Yeah, and and yesterday I was just like, okay, is that a is that somebody liking that video or is it just somebody liking that comment for the 200th time? Is that comment <laughs> now has like 250 likes for no reason. Well, that's good. I mean, now you, uh, you know, you could build up some, some familiarity with uh, some, some name familiarity on TikTok. Yeah. I, I just laugh every time I see it. It's like, it's not even that great of a comment. It just pace notes. And it's like, I'll see if I can find a comment without it kicking me out. Of this you know what? I found it. I found it. It's uh, so your new name is Jay Moore Writes, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, you said paste notes um, colon straight into straight, <laughs> which is <laughs> pretty good. I think I know which highlight that was too. That was the yellowhead, right? That was the yellowhead, and that was through Ant Whistle. I was uh, yeah. on a on a trip for business out that way. And uh, yeah, I just happened to be going through there. There were a couple of uh, morons crossing the road on foot. I didn't get it on camera because it was a little earlier in there. And that was part of the reason I put the camera on is because there was a couple of like backpackers walking across the road. 
I really, really dumb thing to do. There was no reason to be crossing where they were crossing. Uh, and as you can see by the vi uh, visibility, they were really putting their life on the line for that one. Part of the reason I started recording was like, okay, if, you know, something significant happens, I want it on tape, not, not for views, like for insurance purposes. If I hit somebody crossing the road, um, I'm going to want this <laughs> recorded for sure. Yes, you get viewed by you hitting somebody and and injuring them. That that yeah, would be probably would not post that one on TikTok. That's definitely outside my regular content. So, back to sim racing. What got you into WRC generations? Um, honestly, just the fact that I had kind of exhausted Dirt Rally Two of all of its content. Um, <laughs> I had been playing it for multiple years and uh, my my times were very high up on the leaderboard and I, I felt I had kind of hit a ceiling at that point. I had also ended up taking a little bit of a break from sim racing for about six months. I think uh, at that point, new games had just started coming out. This was, I guess this was just last year, actually. Um, new games had started coming out. I got into some other games that I wanted to play. And again, I had no interest in streaming at that point. So, you know, I was just kind of treating it like a regular game. WRC Generations came out and the announcement of it coming out was actually what kind of, I guess, restarted my, my interest in sim racing, but also sparked an interest in streaming sim racing. So I had seen other creators on TikTok at this point, who had started streaming, uh, some streaming rallies, some just streaming other racing in general. So when I saw that WRC Generations had come out, I figured, I, you know what, I'll give this a shot. And uh, I started playing it, had a good time, and then was like, you know what, let's let's try this content creation thing. It was pretty slow at work at this time. I mean, this was the end of the year in retail. So end of December is, is usually... The Christmas rush, but then immediately after December is that probably the slowest time of year. So at this point, I'm like, you know what? I have nothing to do. Work is very quiet. Um, I didn't have any significant hobbies on the side at this point. So I figured, let's just give it a shot. And WRC Generations happened to be the racing game I was playing. And uh, yeah, I think, I think I played it longer than I probably would have normally just because I was making content for it. And then, of course, streaming it every day. So when you started sim racing, did you just go from like no experience into a four wheel drive car? Did you go front wheel or rear wheel first and then four wheel? So I just, because I, when I started, I was just playing it like a video game. Uh, I went into just career mode on Dirt Rally 2, which I'm not sure if I did this or if it does this automatically. Um, but the starting class is, uh, historical front wheel drive. Um, so I started in a, I think I started in a mini. It was, I, I believe I started in a mini, a front wheel drive mini with maybe 150 horsepower and uh, started with that. And I struggled at the start to keep that thing on the road. I think about it now and it is hilarious. And I know we had actually driven that same class recently as a community when we did our um, dirt rally championship we had played a stage in this class 
And I struggled so hard to keep this thing on the road. And now going back, um, it feels like walking, you know, like it, it's, it's hard to think about that. I struggled to beat the easiest mode in the slowest class of car. But from there, I went into, I think, R2, um, all wheel drive. I, I think I skipped, I think I skipped 2000s and went straight into R2. And then after R2 uh, was in R5, all wheel drive. And now I, that's, that's what I drive primarily. Driving rear, rear wheels in that game is just, it is so painful because you make one wrong, even twitch and you're in a tree. Yeah. And that's something that game does really well is those rear wheel drive vehicles at dirt rally too feel like driving rear wheel drive vehicles on loose surfaces. They did a very good job on those uh, rear wheel drive cars. And in my experience, my limited experience driving rear wheel drive on loose surface, that is very, very similar. I, I, the the time in the championship, like when I accidentally set New Zealand to uh, front wheel drive uh, yeah. historic one cars, which was absolute chaos. But um, that was my first time ever driving a front wheel drive car in Dirt Rally Two, so that okay. was a it was a it was a fun experience. But they aren't hard to learn because they are super controlled. They are. Um... I mean, when you when you start to spin out, you're going to spin out. I mean, in the few situations where you do manage to spin out a front wheel drive car, and especially in those historic classes, they don't have the horsepower to pull themselves back out. Um, so you're you're pretty much starting from a stop again. So really, a lot of driving low horsepower front wheel drive is really focusing on your fundamentals of cornering and breaking lines um, as long as you can keep those things under control you're gonna you're gonna get a really strong time that's pretty much it i have a little bit of an advantage as well uh, my actual my daily is a uh, just this little 200 horsepower front wheel drive that i used to get to and from work but uh, for eight months out of the year here in alberta you're you're pretty much driving a, a very similar car on loose surfaces so uh, frankly it just kind of felt like driving driving in the Alberta winters to me. They, and I will say they did a really good job replicating how a front wheel drive car feels on a loose surface because uh, that's pretty much matched up to my, my daily experience. The thing I will say, especially for like new drivers, if you want to learn how to take like racing lines properly, drive a front wheel drive car. You can't really go wrong, especially if you're trying to learn the lines. Because yeah, I think you're totally correct. Yeah. The entire time we did that event, I was pretty much like right in those same lines. I was I would take with that R five car, just at ex- extremely low speeds, which is good because if I I have an issue with New Zealand in in going fast, I always end up crashing out. So when, when I, I seen that, I was sorry. Continue. When when I seen that it was a two wheel drive car, it was like. I, I can deal with this now. I might actually be able to win it. And then, like, on, I think it was the second stage, I got a puncture. And I was just like, yeah, that's the rally for me because there's <laughs> no way, there's no way I can gain back time, especially in those. Cause it's like, if you get a puncture, it's like, chances are nobody else can get a puncture as significant as that. And it's like, 
But with an R5 car, it's like you have a chance that somebody else could get a puncture. Yeah, and the other thing is in an R5, if you end up coming to a full stop because of a puncture or because of a significant uh, crash event, you can get back up to speed extraordinarily quickly. I mean, you spend maybe an extra five seconds getting back up to speed. In some situations in those historical or uh, front-wheel drive cars, you're spending, you know, 15, 20 seconds getting back up to speed, depending on where you are in the situation. Um, so crashing really takes a lot of time off your car. Then obviously, if you have to change a puncture, uh, same kind of thing. You're spending a lot of time on the puncture, and then you're spending a lot of time getting back up to speed. So that's why I say focusing on your fundamentals in those cars is so important, because as soon as you lose all your inertia, you're spending a lot of time getting it back. Yeah, and and for me, driving the front-wheel drive car on that day, it was it changed my driving style completely because normally I drive an R5 car like Colin McRae on steroids. I, I just done <laughs> everything, and I, I just take totally. every corner so wide. It is the greatest thing to watch ever because I somehow managed to keep it on the road and, and have a, a great time with it. But driving that car, it's like I can't use the handbrake ever. It's like I have to take the corner how it's actually meant to be taken, not just – Oh yeah, here's a handbrake here and a handbrake there, and yeah, yeah, no, no handbrakes. I, um, as a driver, tend to ride the handbrake quite hard, and I get punished for that in uh, in that class for sure because, <laughs> yeah, I I pull the handbrake a lot. To be honest with you, I'm very precise with where I want my back end, and in a high horsepower all wheel drive car, I can do that. When I try to translate that over to 150 horsepower in a little Cooper, um, it it doesn't translate at all. It, I get punished for that on the daily. Like I know in WRC generation, because I'm in the middle of doing Kareem Road in WRC 2, um, I just did Estonia like a couple days ago, and there were so many times where even it was like a right floor where I would have to hit the handbrake in the middle of the corner because the steering would just lock on me so it's like i can't turn at all so i'm just like okay i just have to rely on the handbrake here to even get me going in the proper direction so yeah i think that's uh that's absolutely right is wrc uses a much different traction and braking model than Direlli 2 does i find it to be more realistic and much less forgiving um i think at dirt rally 2 especially on those um, R2 and R5 cars and, and 2000s class cars, you can really just point the front end where you want the car to go and hold down the throttle and it it works. Um, the cars also rotate from the center, which is quite helpful and <laughs> makes it very easy. Um, switching over to WRC generation is definitely when I started using the handbrake a lot, like you said, um, to, to keep control of the car. And you have to be a lot more have to be a lot more sensitive with the with the throttle you control those cars with the throttle um, which again is a much much more realistic model but really punishes you coming from dirt rally too i like because i think it was wrc nine when i started to get into the wrc games and going from dirt to wrc it was like i have to relearn everything i know about driving besides how to actually drive like I, I have to relearn how to manage traction, the cars, everything. 
So it wasn't a fun experience, but I got into it pretty quick. Yeah, and I think the other thing that happened, um, and again, I never played WRC 8 or 9, but from a lot of the reading I've done and the people I've talked to, I hear there was a big shift in the physics in WRC somewhere between the 8 and 9 generations. Um, So by the time 10 came out, a lot of even seasoned WRC players were kind of relearning how to drive too. So if you went from Dirt Rally to to WRC 9 and then from WRC 9 to 10 and Generations, you probably had to relearn it a a second time or a third time, I guess. (laughs) So uh, that's uh, that's another factor for sure. And then too, in comparative, like the R5 cars to the WRC cars, the WRC cars are so much faster. It's like you're trying to learn how to do all the stuff again and it's you're going way quicker and the cars are way more responsive as well which really helps yeah they're they're quite quick i think a lot of people say dirt rally 2 feels faster just because you can just kind of throw the cars around and take corners at insane uh frankly unrealistic speeds in some cases uh, in WRC, you really have to slow down for your corners because it's it's very easy to lose control of the vehicle. But yeah, definitely a lot to relearn. The cars the cars feel more powerful than the surface allows in WRC, and in dirt in dirt rally you don't get that. So you're you're very you're really not uh, modulating the throttle at all. You're holding it down in dirt rally. In WRC generations, the throttle is uh, is really what's keeping you keeping you on the road. Yeah, and like in I've learned like with pace notes, and we'll get more into this in a second, but with pace notes and the type of corners it is, there's times I can take a right three in bottom of third. There's times I can take a right three in top of fourth, pretty much. It all just depends for me how wide that corner is. Like in, in Finland, I never take a corner faster than the pace note number because Finland is just absolute chaos. <laughs> It's funny you say that because I, I feel like for me, Finland is the opposite. I mean, I'll, I'll take a, a right three and fifth in Finland, um, whereas in uh, Estonia, Estonia, you really want to take it. You know, if it's a if it's a right three, you want to make sure you're taking it on the slow side for sure. Finland for me, I just always have an issue with getting control after the jumps at speed because normally... I, I always end up landing weird because I never break before landing and I always land flat. I never land on a decline. I always land just flat with the car, which is really bad. So I just automatically lose control and end up in a tree. Uh, yeah, I mean, figuring out anchor braking in WRC for Finland specifically is uh, going to save you quite a bit. When WRC came out, the uh, basically in rank, Everybody plays the same stages. It doesn't matter if you're playing in junior or if you're playing uh, in the absolute top top of the professional league. Um, everybody is playing the same stages every day. And they rode Finland so hard. So we were all really struggling with Finland for a long time. I, I would say the first month, I felt like we were driving Finland every day. Um, all the forums, all the groups, all the all these ranked teams all anybody talked about was how the hell do we get through Finland? Because it destroys cars and it, it's a, 
very different from, and I, I almost see why they, they ran Finland so often. It's very different from what you're used to in any racing game, not just, not just simulators, but games. Um, you know, you're used to being able to just lob yourself off of all of these jumps. And it almost felt like for the first time, all of these drivers were learning that that is not how it works. And you need to sometimes prioritize the safety of your car over your speed. And Finland is so good at punishing people who are who are bad at that. Um, so it was a significant kind of rift in the community at the at the start of the game that why are we driving Finland so much? But it was also this massive separation between drivers like me who are very risk management heavy um, and drivers who are just fast and have fast reaction time. So I thrived uh, during that time, but I had a lot of really upset conversations with people who struggled to get Finland figured out. With, with Finland, especially if you're doing night stages, you really have to watch how you take jumps because if you lose your lights, you can't see anything. <laughs> yeah, totally. In Dirt Rally 2, it was very easy to lose your lights. I mean, I felt like you, uh, you know, there was a little too much wind and uh, you lost your lights. <laughs> In Generations, it was difficult to lose your lights, um, really, unless you hit something head on. Uh, you were your lights were okay. Um, ranked in WRC generations also doesn't use the full damage model. It uses the medium damage model. Um, so again, very difficult to lose your lose your lamps. I, I remember once, um, and I think this was like the second or third stage of using them. I hit a jump at like top of sixth. I landed it perfectly fine, but my but my lights fell off, and it was. Finland <laughs> at night and it was raining oh yeah yeah so i had to i had to attempt to drive the rest of the state with without being able to see anything i just ended up pulling over and restarting the state because i was like i can't see anything like i i ended up running into a tree i ended up running into everything like i'm trying to follow the pace notes but it's like i can't see anything i don't know if i'm in a ditch i don't know if i'm in a tree i don't know where i am at this point <laughs> I had, um, so this, this had happened a lot to me in Dirt Rally 2 where I would wreck my lights. So what I had started doing was doing some practice runs where I would turn my lights off and drive at night or, you know, at the late dusk time where there was still a little bit of light, but for the most part, quite dark and really heavily relying on pace notes. Uh, this was during my Dirt 2 era. And again, it was an exercise that I did in WRC Generations. And it teaches you two things. Obviously, it teaches you how to adapt when you lose your lights and still power through the stage. And, you know, you're not you're not going to place top of the pile, but you're probably not going to get last. And hopefully you will beat everyone else who lost their lights. Um, but it also teaches you how to really, really rely on your pace notes and to have full confidence in your pace notes. Now on Dirt Rally 2, there's some there's some rough spots for pace notes. Not all the pace notes actually match up to the stage, especially in Scotland. Um, in WRC Generations, they did a very good job with the pace notes. And so doing this exercise really teaches you to have full confidence in these in these notes, as well as just drive if you don't have your lights on. So I think that was that was very helpful. Highly recommend uh, for anyone who wants to really go into competitive sim rally, uh, do exercises like that. 
that's a big one specifically just because a lot of other players are not going to do it. And it's going to give you a significant competitive edge. For me in dirt, I have my brightness settings at a point where even if it's dark out, I can still see perfectly fine if I don't have light. <laughs> that was another way to do it. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Which I think helped me when uh, I think it was one of your streams where we did Finland. And I think I ended up breaking out both my lights because I ended up only like 16,000 times. <laughs> but um, I ended up losing my lights and I ended up just having to drive off of just brightness settings alone. And it, it went pretty well. I think I almost beat you because that was the time when me and you were like pretty much neck and neck. Yeah, somebody else told me that you could do that if you wrecked your lights as you could pause and just crank up your brightness settings. Um, rally for me is really just about competing against myself. So I never went down that route. I really just wanted to challenge myself. Uh, but frankly, if it came down to the wire and I was uh, competing for something significant, I probably would do the same just with the knowledge that every other every other driver in that situation is going to do that. I've had fun competing against you because it pushes me to my limit at times because as I told you in the pre-show, I use controller, which is absolute hell. <laughs> but um but when I'm even close to you, and I think I beat you once uh on I think it was that Finland event. Um and I ended up meeting you and I was like, I'm actually not as bad as I think I am at this, but <laughs> Yeah, I uh, definitely had a puncture on Finland right out of the gate, too. I think I rolled, like, first quarter and punctured. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, that's, I have a lot of experience in Finland, and none of it is, none of it is terribly positive. Finland is hard, uh, but they did a really good job on it. Beautifully designed stage, and really captures the, uh, the essence of, of Finland in, in terms of uh, damage management but uh, yeah that that was a lot of fun i had a lot of fun in those races the part i hate about finland especially um dirt is they really for some reason i find they rely on like blind jumps over and then like immediately a corner afterwards and i'm like this is chaos because i i know there's one corner i know there's one jump that goes into like a right there are left three and there's a rock like directly on the outside of it. So if you go I, yep, a bit, yep, I know the one. If you go a bit too quickly, you're ending up in a rock, and then it's like you either end up flipping or you end up damaging your car and can't get out without resetting, which costs you a penalty, and then you and then you probably have punctured your tire, which costs you another minute, which is like help, please. Yeah, and uh going into that jump is often 200 kilometers an hour. I have I have termed out on that rock specifically. I know the one you're talking about. I've termed out on that one specifically multiple times. And I don't know if it's because the calls are bad or just it's so fast going into it that you almost don't have time to position. Um, I mean, that's one of the challenges too with, with Sim Rally is you're not working with another co-driver. You have your preset pace notes, which for the most part have been refined over years by these developers and and actual rally drivers that are testing them to be as as strong as possible for everybody they're not terribly specific but they're pretty good uh that is you know kind of one thing you lose out on in, in virtual rally is working on a rally team and uh discussing with your co-driver how you want to adapt the pace notes to what makes sense for you 
Yeah, I know talking with real co-drivers, especially when that is won a championship, um, they at times sit up like an entire night just going over pace notes again and watching video and just saying, is this right? Is that right? Is Did we miss something? Is there a small cut that we could take? Is there something we want to cut out because it's too risky or it is a yeah. lot of work. Yeah, and I mean, when your life is on the line too. Uh, I mean, a couple of significant factors. You only get to drive it twice for the for the most part. I mean, Recce is two runs. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is two runs on average? Depends on the event. Depends on the event. Um, but again, quite limited. And then obviously, you just get your one run, unlike a video game where you can usually restart it as many times as you want. Um, and then you can also obviously get seriously injured or killed if you mess up your pace notes. So. I would be pouring over it all night as well. <laughs> it, it just, I, I, I don't know how they do it. It's like, as uh, for me, I can never drive with the amount of precision they do on like three or four hours of sleep. It's like coffee is a, a huge factor in rallies. And I, I'm surprised <laughs> more coffee companies don't sponsor rally teams. I mean, there are significant <laughs> coffee sponsors in the uh, in the space for sure. I mean, I, I feel like I see a Black Rifle um, logo on on half the cars I watch, but um, yeah, I, I get the it. Biggest one in, especially in uh, America in the North air, American right? rally. Yeah, absolutely. Because they have like Black every, Rifle they have like every major. Tra- that you could pretty much have. Well, they did last season when there was like Travis Strana and yeah, yada yada yada. But now all their drivers have pretty much left the ARA besides Tom Williams. And I don't right, even know right. if that team still exists for Tom or not. But yeah, I mean, I get it. I don't know if I could do it on four hours of sleep. I I prioritize sleep quite a bit. Uh, but if I had to make the decision between changing a pace note that could potentially save my life or sleeping. I probably would choose the base notes. It, there's just a lot that goes into a race weekend. It's, I I don't know how some people do it. Like, I covering events, I still go through a lot of, a lot of time covering things. But doing like being at an actual event, they're there for like pretty much the entire week before the event, just getting ready. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that they you know, are truly, truly athletes in the, in their, uh, in their endeavors here for sure. Rally and, and to the same extent, rally cross. And I've talked with a rally cross driver about this before rally and rally cross are two of the most underappreciated motorsports ever, especially rally with rally. Rally is one of the most difficult sports pretty much that I can think of in motorsports because you're driving at times inches away from trees, one wrong move and you could be wrapped around a tree entirely. And it's like, everything has to go pretty much right for you to have a clean event. And that is really hard to nail because one wrong thing, even one misplaced rock in a corner could lead you out into a slide. And it's like, there's a lot of precision. I mean, I think that's that is what intrigues me personally about rally is it isn't just speed. It's not it's not um, a perfect laboratory environment like 
you know, like F1 is, is often a good example. It is nearly a laboratory environment for the most part. Um, the tracks are very clean. The cars are maintained to precision. It's really about your lines and your strategy and your, and your tires. Rally is risk management. It is, it is risk management, the motorsport, which I really love about it because no, nothing is going to go perfectly. There's, there's going to be unexpected things. There are going to be punctures that frankly shouldn't have happened. And the way the teams manage those things and the, the way they analyze risk throughout their runs and throughout their planning um, makes a significant impact on their performance. And I think that's really what, at the end of the day, intrigues me about rally is the risk versus the reward of the decisions that you make. And it, I think that's something that's it's present in other motorsports, but I don't think it's present to the same degree that it is in rally, where you can make a decision that will gain you a significant amount of time, but you know the the inverse of it has such serious consequences, and that happens many, many, many times throughout the race. And I think that's what intrigues me most about rally. And with rally, there's different strategies for each stage. You could go into one stage and be full attack, and then the next stage you're kind of laying off a bit because it's a bit more of a risky stage or it could be one that could cost you more time than you could get time if you do fully risk it. So it's always that bit of a game of like, do I push here? Do I not push here? What do I do before the stage to get ready? And that changes based on a lot of factors too. I mean, um, depending on the state of your tires, depending on the weather. um, I mean, if you look at stages like Sweden, for example, just the temperature of the air can make significant changes in the surface that may even change throughout the stage. And I think um, your, your risk analysis needs to be able to change on the fly due to those factors. Well, and with rally, they don't stop for pretty much anything. Like there's rare cases where they will stop due to, due to safety concerns with, with weather, but pretty much if, 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 it, if it's raining, they're going. If it's snowing, they're going. Even if they don't expect snow, they're going. Because I even remember last year, the final round of the American Championship had snow, and they just kept going. It, it started snowing in the middle of, like, October. And I was like, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think rally drivers tend to view those things as a challenge rather than a, a barrier. <laughs> I mean... Um, you know, like snow, snow during an F1 event is going to cancel the event. Snow during a rally event is just extra excitement. <laughs> I think that's important to point out with rally is it's kind of a different breed of, of people driving when they, when they see snow and go, yeah, we can handle this. We're this, uh, this will be no problem. I remember earlier this year, Triumph Astrana uh, did a NASCAR event and and I don't know if it was delayed by rain, I forget, but if it was, I think he would have been sitting in the paddock like, why are we stopping? Well, what is the objective of this? I, I'm, I'm used to just going on uh, in rain. Like, what? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, there's always that bit of an aspect between like other racing drivers and rally drivers, even rally cross drivers, where it's like, Oh yeah, it's raining. We don't get. We don't have to go yet. Or oh wait, it's raining. We actually have to go now. 
Uh, yeah, and and in some situations, you know, it it wasn't raining for your opponent, and it's raining for you, and you still need to go out there and do your best time. Yeah, and that was the uh, thing in Rally Italy last weekend was. Um, I remember for on the power stage, it was raining pretty heavily for the WRC two drivers, and then Formo crashed out, and they had to delay the stage. And then by the time Tanak went right after Formo, pretty much, um, it was pretty much clear. Like it was still yeah. raining a bit, but it wasn't raining as heavy. So, and I mean that's that's unfortunate, but it's it's part of the game. That's uh, what you gotta. That's what you gotta do. It's how you win events. Like you, it's time management and risk management, and everything goes into it. Everybody's strategy is different. Like I know there's drivers who say I don't care about what anybody else is doing, but at some point you kind of have to care if you want to actually win to a degree. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's important to have the mindset that you need to drive the best that you can drive under your circumstances. Um, and sometimes just hope for the best, but you're right. There's, I think it's important to pay attention to the other drivers. I mean, if you have a significant lead and you can drive a little more safely, then it's a good idea to drive more safely. Don't take those risks. So I think you definitely do need to still care about what the other drivers are doing. But for the most part, I think if you just drive the best that you can drive for the circumstances, that's going to pay off really well for you. Yeah. And, like, I know we talked a lot about sim racing. There is differences between sim racing and regular racing. Obviously, the biggest one primarily being you can rerun a stage 6,000 times. As within a real rally, you normally only run a stage twice. Yeah, and that's something I really wanted to touch on today. Um, Unfortunately, I do think sim rally is one of the simulations that is furthest from its real life counterpart uh, just due to the complexities of rally. I don't think it's possible to create a rally simulation that is honestly right on par with real rally. I think they are very different. I think, I mean, I I talk a lot about F1 just because that's the only other um, sim motorsport that I have. Uh, experience with very easy to get f1 right on par with its real world counterpart but with how difficult and complex rally is i would honestly say we'll probably never have a, a simulation or a game that really even captures the most important parts of rally properly unfortunately i think that just i think that just is the case with with Rallycross, I know there is a simulator. I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but that is really realistic. But that's a closed circuit event. With Rally, it's a lot of different variables. That's really hard to to get perfect. So, yeah, and I I think so. Video games in general, especially racing video games, they're all about driving the perfect run, and most drivers given the option, will keep restarting their race until they achieve a perfect run. I think that's probably the number one difference. Um, I mean, that's easy to fix by not giving the drivers the ability to restart. Um, I think it's that's frankly against the spirit of rally. 
in my opinion, I really value games and um, especially ranked systems that don't allow drivers to restart. Rally should be about dealing with the circumstances that have been presented to you and pulling the best time out of those circumstances. I think that's one thing rally games do really poorly is they just give you too many opportunities to try again and go for a perfect run. Um, I, I think that's also compounded by the fact that stages are always the same. So I could play dirt rally for four years and I'm only actually driving on the exact same 25 stages and they're identical every single time. They're the same every time. Again, I think that takes away from what the core of rally is, which is brand new stage, write your pace notes, put the best time down that you can. Now in, in rally sims and rally games, really the best players are the ones that can just memorize memorize everything about these about these stages unfortunately there are certain stages on wrc generations that i do have memorized like and that's why i'm scared to do a championship with you on wrc generations is because i do have most of the stages memorized like with dirt there are stages i do have pretty much memorized that i did use to use for testing a lot but i don't have them exactly memorized completely there's state there's like three or four stages on dirt that i pretty much have memorized the exact breaking points exactly everything where i need to be on the road everything so yeah i think dirt rally stages were hard to memorize they everything looked very much the same i think they did a good job of capturing what an actual rally stage looks and feels like um wrc generations and it was in the interest of creating more interesting stages. You put all of these interesting things on the side of the road and really unique sections, but it made it easier to memorize because every segment looked different. Every turn looks different, whereas in Dirt Rally, um, a lot of the time it's just a road and a bunch of trees, and that made it harder to memorize, which I appreciated about it. I think if you really wanted to capture that part of Rally, and I know some of the old Dirt games used to do this, uh, is procedurally generated stages, um, and I think that would, I think that would really bring in, bring back into the space one of the the core tenets of of rally, which is I have not driven this stage before. Now that being said, people, I I have seen people circumvent that. There's a quite a quite a high performing. Uh, team on WRC Generations that's actually just one guy playing on eight different accounts. So what he does is he drives each stage 24 times a day. Uh, <laughs> so he's he's got a lot of practice on each of these stages. It's kind of a cool thing to see a, a team just based out of one person on eight different accounts, but at the same time, it is very frustrating uh, to play against because no team can compete with one guy who's playing every stage 24 times a day. Yeah. And like with, with WRC, um, you mentioned like every bit looks different, yada, yada, yada. It, yeah. uh, in some ways it does help, but in some ways like with memorizing the stage, but in some ways I find it, I don't know where I'm going with that. I mean, you know, I, I think as you drive more, because you said you're just in your WRC2 career on uh, on Generations, and yeah. as you drive more, you'll 
you'll figure out that it's much easier to memorize than Dirt Rally 2. I have a very poor memory. And so honestly, the fact that I'm able to memorize Dirt Rally 2 stages at all uh, is quite surprising to me. I mean, uh, WRC stages is quite surprising to me. I, I have a lot memorized because although I'm just in WRC2 in my uh, in my career mode, I've played a lot of the game, even just randomly playing stages to try to hit a top 1,000 time or whatever. And there's a few stages I have done that on. But, um, yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of memorization things with it. And they're barely easy to memorize. Oh, yeah, that's where I was going to go with the uh, thing before. I, I used to play Dirt four i got dirt four actually after dirt rally two um and it had the uh like it had the system that you're talking about with the different stages each time the uh generating system yeah the game was really bad for it um it was it had a really bad generating system i mean all it was doing was piecing together pre pre pre-rendered or pre-loaded chunks pre-designed chunks it was just kind of building them like Lego. I think we're now at a point with uh, game design where we could truly generate brand new stages every time, and they they would actually be new and engaging and fun. I don't think we're far off of a game like that, and frankly, I, I would expect to see that in the next five years and, and an actual, an actually uh, you know, well implemented system like that. I am. And too, I'm I'm interested to see what Codemasters does with WRC twenty three, especially now that it's not going to be on last gen consoles. It gives them a lot more opportunity to do generating stages each time, but I think they'll pretty much stick with the actual WRC stages that are used now, along with some older ones. But I think at least for this iteration and. I know there's not a lot of information out there, which, you know, I, I think if they were going to do procedurally generated stages that we probably would have heard something about that by now. With them just getting the WRC license this year, I wouldn't expect anything groundbreaking like that on uh, on this iteration, possibly next, though. There's just going to, like, nothing's been really officially announced about the game so far besides that it's not going to be available on last gen consoles and the, pretty much the name but pretty much that's all we know at this point i i do know what the uh in-game like achievement icons look like which has led me to know or believe there's the old iterations of the like world cars which involves like the old high end who hyundai i20 and the yaris and the fiestas but uh, I also do believe there's two iterations of the Lancer, Mitsubishi Lancer Evo. And I think there was in Generations, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. No, there was only the one version of it. The one that, uh, I forget his name, I think it was a Michelin one. Oh, version. yes. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So there's pretty much only that, and it's... But I think they're adding a, a more specced up version of it from the looks of it with a bigger wide body and yada yada. But I obviously, like I said, nothing's been officially announced. All I've pretty much figured out is from leaks. Yeah. Uh, and- uh, 
to be honest, me personally, I have no interest in the historic cars. If they released <laughs> three cars, you know, if, if we had the Puma, the I-20 and the Yaris, I'd be perfectly happy, to be honest with you. I have little interest in the historic classes, and I will, frankly, only really drive um, the currently active cars, the WRC cars, to, to be totally honest with you. The part I, I like, the thing I wanted in, and the thing I wanted in WRC generations was the last generation of WRC cars because I really love the I-20 and the Fiesta. They're both really fun cars, but they didn't have them, so. Yeah, um, I-20 has been my personal favorite lately. Um, but the, obviously the Fiesta is a... Uh, that that was, for the longest time, that was my favorite rally car, the Mark II. Um I twenty just kind of recently took over as my my all time favorite. I know for me, like I I normally drive the Puma in doing like time trials and whatever, because that's just the car that better fits my driving style. I find with the I twenty, it's too loose on the rear end, so I'm having to try to correct myself a lot with my driving style. With the Toyota, I forget what my issue with it is, but I know I had one. <laughs> so um, those cars don't necessarily match up to their real-world counterparts. Just in the spirit of a video game, they are quite well-balanced between each other and just kind of change based on driving style. You're right. The i20 is very loose on the back end, which is what I like about it. The Yaris is actually kind of the opposite. It refuses to rotate until you move its brake bias up. Um, as somebody who rides the handbrake a lot, I'd like something that rotates a little bit faster, like the i20. Um, but I, I did have to move the brake bias forward quite a bit on the uh, on the Yaris. Um, I'm sorry, I guess it was the opposite. I, the Yaris tends to rotate a little too a little too fast for my taste, so I had to move brake bias up to slow it down a little bit. The i20, I, I don't really have to adjust. Uh, except for gearing, depending on the stage, usually. Yeah, there's there's a lot of difference. Like I like I said, I find the Puma to have the most control out of any of them because I don't know why, but it just does. I know statistically, it is the worst WRC car out there. So uh, I, yeah, I I personally strongly dislike the Puma. It does not match up to my driving style at all. But again. I think at least in the video game versions of these cars, that's all it is, is choose the one that that works with your driving style, because really all they've done is kind of tweak tweak the stats to to add some difference between the cars. I'm not sure how well those hold up to their real-world counterparts. I have never driven a WRC Yaris <laughs> um, Puma or, or i20, and probably will not have the chance anytime soon, so I will have to stick to speculating like this. Why you never driven a WRC car? Come on! No, dude. no, never had the chance. Uh, not a not a lot of WRC presence here in Alberta. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, so I know you said before you don't really follow a rally. Has there ever been an interest in you to actually follow a rally? Or, um, I think the the challenge for that, frankly, for me is that I just don't like to watch things. <laughs> I know that sounds silly. Um. So I had spoken before about my my history in esports, and even during that time, 
And I mean, I was I was as invested in esports as you could get without going pro. Um, I did not have much of an interest in going pro because I wasn't I wasn't a player. Um, I was always doing the other stuff. Even at that point, I still only watched like the world finals for for whatever esport I was invested in. I there's just something about watching stuff like that that just makes me want to go and do it. And when it's a video game, you have the option to just turn it off and go and do it. So like for Rally, for example, um, I will keep up loosely with who's doing what um, in the WRC. But every time I go and watch, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do this. I want to go play. <laughs> and so I do. <laughs> so no, I, I, I do struggle to actually keep up with uh, what's what's going on. Was the WRC is not hard because it's reported like pretty much everywhere. I don't know if you've heard, but apparently Cali Rovampera uh, has gained some interest from Hyunai for next year, which I, I absolutely laugh at because the way they handle everything with Tanak. Uh, yeah, even even the more political stuff like that, I'm totally, totally outside of the space. I really am just on the sim side of stuff. My interest in um, the real life Frankly, all of my interest in in real life rally is how does this translate to the simulation? Um, I'm really just interested in seeing how close it is to the simulation. And I, I won't really get that experience without getting in a car and uh, frankly, driving it the same way I try and drive it in a sim. <laughs> that would end terribly. That would end terribly. And I will not do it unless it is under the absolute right conditions with a lot of experts and firefighters and paramedics nearby. <laughs> I, I I think if you did that, every um, a, a WRC team mechanics would just have a field day because they they will be dying because of the amount of damage. I think I I would make an enemy of everybody involved in actual rally at that point. However, I I have some renewed hope <laughs> because I was watching a video, um of. I guess it was like a top iRacing driver signed on with a, uh, a team to do a, a little bit of an event and absolutely destroyed some real world drivers with with little real world experience. So that gives me a little bit of hope that uh, there is some some translation. Thank you for listening to the Into the Dust podcast hosted by Joe Moore presented by Belly Up Sports.